Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the fucking toe reconstruction zone and the Brooklyn bunker. Happy Pride, folks. It is officially June. I myself cannot believe that we have made it here as a country, as a group, but we are here. And for this Pride on Woke AF, We are conjuring up the spirits of our LGBTQ ancestors and leaders. And we're going back to what the core of pride has been and was born out of, which is a riot. For many of you who listen to me on a regular basis and have been listening to and been a part of the Woke AF community and nation, I want you to understand that when... Pride originated, uh, as as some folks know, came out of the Stonewall riots. And Stonewall is a bar located in New York City, in Manhattan, in Chelsea, uh, an area that during the time was very much frequented by LGBTQ plus people. And what we have always known is that the queer community has never been accepted and embraced. It has always been the ire of police, politicians, um, you name it. And how pride began was out of a sense of exhaustion, out of a sense of, you know, folks, particularly black, queer, black, trans women saying, uh, like Marsha P. Johnson, I've had enough. We've had a fuck enough of cops coming into this bar, hustling us for money, you know, beating us, and we do nothing because we are forced to live in the shadows, in the margins. And what the Stonewall riots did was bring to the consciousness, the forefront uh, of the New York City community, of the state, of the city, 
um, how dismally, how poorly, how disgustingly the LGBTQ plus community has been treated. And from there, pride birthed itself into not so much of a riot, but instead a celebration, an unapologetic celebration of who we are, who we love, how we exist in a world that believes in boxes. And if you can't fit into said box, then you are cast aside. You were ostracized. You were made to feel small and insignificant. And worse, violated in ways that no one, no person should experience. There have been so many markers of violence, and there continue to be markers of violence. Black trans women are killed at an alarming rate. Their identities, their existence, thrown literally and figuratively in the trash. It is through our quest for liberation that isn't about assimilation into what it means to exist in heteronormative confines. And funny enough, I've been having a lot of this conversation as a person who is, you know, still relatively newly divorced, but really operated inside of this assimilation model. We're just like you, right? Is, you know, what the queer community was forced to say in order to be able to access the same rights and privileges that our straight neighbors and friends and colleagues have, is that to bring down the level of hysteria and threat that our opposition has made it seem as if we are in society, a threat, something to be locked away, to never be spoken of, to be beaten into submission, to be jailed, to be prosecuted, is that we made a campaign out of saying we're just like you. We want to get married. We want to have kids. We want to live full and complete lives. But the reality is, is that, yeah, I want to live a full and complete life. But what I deem as full and complete may not be what full and complete looks like for you. I don't have to want to get married in order to be seen as a full and complete citizen of these United States. I don't have to conform, right, and fold myself in order to fit in to what other people's beliefs and desires are. And I have only recently recently truly been able to really understand that because I spent a large part of my career in politics, in movement work, particularly around LGBTQ politics, with trying to fit in. I became one of the voices for marriage equality back in the early 2000s because who was speaking out at that time were white gay men. Double income, no kids. That's where that saying came from. White men, as we know, right, outside of orientation or gender identity, are the oppressor, right? Hold all the mechanisms of power. So when you had white gay men in the beginning of the 2000s talking about their rights and what they're being denied, you think that that was invoking empathy? It surely the fuck was not. So enter the voices of black queer people like myself 
who at the time were getting married or were married. And so we were able to insert a different perspective into the conversation about what discriminatory policies do to already marginalized communities. But as I have moved through life and my own understanding of my identity, how I want to show up in the world, I realize that assimilation is honestly what has been beat into us since the beginning. When I talk about our public education system being a product or a tool of white supremacy, I mean that. And I mean that in all senses. I also mean it in terms of patriarchy and how we come to understand who is supposed to be raising their hand and who is supposed to sit quietly, who is supposed to be playing with dolls and who is supposed to be playing with trucks, who can be the aggressor in situation and who has to be the submissive. You learn all of these roles through societal standards. And where do we learn society standards? Through school. So it makes sense then that the opposition, the Republican cult, would turn once again to our education system as a way to pose their will on already marginalized and oppressed peoples. The don't say gay bills, the bathroom bills are all directed at queer youth at a time when you are young and trying to understand who you are in the world outside of your parents' gaze and outside of society's desires. So how are we setting up our young people, whether they are queer or not, to be able to be critical thinkers, global citizens, to feel safe in their own skin, which means that if you are safe in your own skin, then you are able to tackle some of society and the world's biggest problems. But if I'm so busy looking over my shoulder, how can I see into the future? How can I offer myself as a way of being of service? So I've been thinking a lot as a person who has come from, even though I am black, I am a woman, I am queer, I'm a child of immigrants, I'm all of these things, I still have points of privilege. I still grew up in a suburban tree-lined street neighborhoods where I could walk to school and go to the pizza place and get a slice after school where I played sports, where I had series upon series of microaggressions, but at the time didn't realize them. It was upon reflection. But my orientation into the world was important which is why I feel like the way that we treat our youth and how they show up and how they are able to succeed is about our own success as a country, as a people. And if we're not nurturing our young people, whether they are queer or straight or non-binary or somewhere on the spectrum, that is about nurturing our own success. So, This month, during Pride Month, which also encapsulates Juneteenth, we were going to tackle some of the biggest issues that are facing the LGBTQ plus community, which are entwined with all of the issues that we are all facing. But what does it mean to face issues of voter suppression, of living in a time of a police state, right, where 
you can be shot dead because you are black, because you are queer, because you exist at these overlapping intersections of identity. So we're going to go throughout the weeks of this month and talk to some of my friends, some of my colleagues, um, people that I admire, whose work that I cherish to really get a better perspective of who America is in this moment. For me, pride over the last decades plus has always been a celebration. It's when you get to dress up and go to the marches and the parades and see old friends and dance and literally be gay, be merry. But in the climate that we are living in right now, I don't feel that level of joy. I know that it is important, however, I know that it is necessary. It is necessary now for us to be unapologetic in the streets with our glitter and our rainbows and our, you know, bearing our vulnerabilities to the world and saying, you don't get to box me. You don't get to judge me. You don't get to define me. I get to define myself. And so for us here on Woke AF this month, pride is a riot. It has always been a riot. And what are riots? They are the voices of the unheard, those that have been invisibilized, right? And so this month, during this time, we are going to paint the picture of who this community is, who I am what we are up against, but also what we are looking forward to. It isn't all bad, right? But there are a lot of bad things on the horizon and a lot of evils that we need to push back against. Coming up uh, in our first Pride conversation is my friend, and you've heard from him before, Preston Mitchum who is the Director of Policy and Government Affairs for the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is a national organization that works to prevent LGBTQ suicides. You will hear in this conversation with my dear friend Preston about how the suicide rates among LGBTQ people and LGBTQ youth specifically are up. If you've listened to the show over the past couple of months, I also iterated that after I watched a special on 60 Minutes, which was just about youth across the board and how youth are attempting suicides at higher rates than we have ever seen. And why is that? Because we are all living in compounded trauma, living through compounded trauma. So if we are all struggling with a global health pandemic, with the rise of white supremacy, fascism, violence, and you are also a queer youth and you live in a state where your, gover your governor, like Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, and others are telling you that you are unworthy, that your families should be criminalized for caring for you, how are you seeing yourself? Years ago, in the early aughts, there was a campaign that was started called It Gets Better. Because if you remember in the early 2000s, there were a rash of suicides. 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds who had been bullied relentlessly 
and took their own lives because they couldn't envision a future. We know that Republicans are trying to create an environment where we don't see past our present misery, which is why pride as a riot and pride as joy is so incredibly important now more than ever. Because the lives of our youth, of our community is at stake. So Preston will discuss with us the latest numbers, the latest data points from the Trevor Project, offer us opportunities to engage, and then talk about what we can each do for our own self-care. That conversation, dear friends, is coming up next. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slate's Political Gab Fest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. Each week on the Gab Fest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree. But we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political Gap Fest. New episodes every Thursday. The Damage Report with John Idarola is one of the most popular shows on the TYT network that serves as your daily breakdown of the genuine threats and challenges facing our country and world. These days, we're confronted with an overwhelming sea of shocking, confounding, and devastating news stories. The Damage Report is your life raft, helping you navigate the day's news and understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations, and everything in between. Join the Damage Report's notorious fan club, The Dragon Squad, where you become part of a fantastic community of progressives. Create a fun dragon nickname that fits your personality, collaborate, and participate in fun activities like voting for, the garbage person of the week, and much more. Listen to The Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Folks, I am very excited to welcome back to Woke AF Daily, our friend, my friend over so many years. My God, we won't even tell the kids. We just have good skincare. Um, Preston Mitchum, who is the Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs at The Trevor Project. Um, You know The Trevor Project, but I want to give Preston an opportunity um, before we even jump into this important conversation, this Pride Month. Um, Preston, tell folks, remind folks what the Trevor Project is and what the important work is that you all do. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited to be here, friend. And, you know, I'm really excited to represent the Trevor Project as well. And we are the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer and questioning youth. And we know because of all of the unprecedented attacks, we know that we need organizations like the Trevor Project, um, which really are life-saving tools and providing resources and advocacy and education and public trainings to the general public, to schools, among others, on how to save LGBTQ youth's lives. So, Preston, I mean, I I will say this. You know, you, like myself, have been an LGBTQ plus advocate for ever at this at this point right like we have for our entire careers i think we have made it a point to always put um our community up front have you ever in the course of your career 
um, not just with the Trevor Project, but just in your career in general, seen the types of unrelenting attacks against LGBTQ plus people that we have been seeing over the last two years. Have you seen this before? I certainly have not. And I think many others would agree with that. Of course, we've certainly seen state-based attacks through bills at the state level, at the federal level as well. Um, but right now, it's such an unprecedented number of attacks that are happening to LGBTQ people, especially LGBTQ young people. And not only is it unprecedented, it's coordinated. Mm -hmm. So there seems to be a nationwide coordinated campaign by anti-LGBTQ organizations and elected officials seeking political gain amid an election year especially. And again, what they're once again doing are treating one of the most marginalized groups in our country, trans youth and non-binary youth especially, as a political wedge issue when they are certainly not. You know, it every week, um, aside from us dealing with the gun violence and gun massacres um, that are many uh, being done so at the hands of white supremacists, right, with manifestos that purport their ideology. And part of that ideology isn't just uh, about their hatred towards Black folks, right, um, or people of color by the BIPOC community. It is also queer people. And we have seen through Tucker Carlson's many, many segments on Fox News, through Ron DeSantis's statements as he is signing anti-LGBTQ plus legislation, that they are one in the same, right? That this, that this desire for, for white supremacy um, is at the hands of cis, white, hetero men in this country. And so what do you think or how can you tell us how these policies, how this rhetoric that has now transformed into violence um, is affecting LGBTQ plus people? What, what has the Trevor Project been able to uncover over the past couple of years in terms of where things are trending for the community? So I'm glad we started there because the truth of the matter is that this year we've seen a record number of anti-LGBTQ bills. And right now I want to be clear that we're tracking more than 240 bills that are sweeping the nation. Uh, it's a broad wave of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric that unevenly targets trans and non-binary youth as stated before. But also want to be clear, it's, it's to your point, it is also things that, are, that expand the gamut. Right. So, of course, we do have these bills that you see the restricted ability of trans folks to play sports, receive gender affirming care, access bathrooms um, and really be represented in classrooms, discussions and curriculum. But we also see many of these same bills discussing things like uh, critical race mm -hmm. theory and other things that are related to systemic racism, too. And so that actually is backed up by some of the data that we've seen insofar as the people who we see are experiencing a lot of mental health um, challenges and negative mental health outcomes are LGBTQ people of color. So in early May, the Trevor Project put out its 2022 national survey on LGBTQ youth mental health. Um, in particular, what we saw is a racial disparity that worsens the mental health impacts of and on BIPOC LGBTQ youth. So that's Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. Uh, to, to provide some data, we're really excited because this year we surveyed nearly 34,000 LGBTQ young people, and that was across the entire United States. 
Um, it is also one of our most diverse samples to date um, in that 45% of respondents were LGBTQ youth of color and nearly 50% were trans or non-binary. Um, what we also saw was alarming and sobering statistics that had trended upward for suicidal thoughts among LGBTQ youth, um, as, well as, as well as focused on key barriers. And we know the reasons why we've seen these increase of suicidal thoughts, um, among others, is because of these wave of uh, unprecedented and coordinated attacks on LGBTQ youth. You know, it, 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 is, it is almost as if I believe, and let me not put words in your mouth, I believe that it is a coordinated attack. I believe that they absolutely are going for our mental and emotional well-being, um, as well as our physical safety. And so, you know, as you all are, you know, digging through these over 240 plus pieces of legislation, what do they have in common? Preston, and what do you perceive to be the ability to work around? Like, what are we missing on our side that they have been able to replicate, replicate, replicate across the country? One of the things that we're consistently seeing, quite frankly, albeit misguided policies, but they really do help in particular election years. And so that is some of the things that we're seeing. You know, while, so while we have elected officials who are continuing to target LGBTQ youth, our polling data in particular has found a majority of adults reject this government overreach that we are seeing across the country. So even though there are still some consistency and some popularity, if we want to use that language, among certain communities, among certain elected officials, we know that writ large, the general public reject them. And so, but the things that are coordinated, right, are banning books, mm -hmm. censoring school curriculums, mm -hmm. um, intervening in medical care decisions that we know are best left to doctors and, and, and patients. Um, and so those are some of the coordination that we're seeing. We're also seeing this, this attack, you know, to the point earlier around systemic racism, that it is rare that in most of these bills, we're going to find an example where they're attacking book bans and school curriculums and also not attacking things like critical race theory. I want to be clear. I'm a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I went to law school and I didn't take critical race theory until mm -hmm. I went to law school and almost graduated. Are you sure, right? Preston? So, it, it wasn't part of your positive. kindergarten, first grade curriculum? You, you sure? Positive. Po absolutely positive, right? And so I think that is the part for many of us, that becomes quite frustrating, particularly when we are Black and queer or Latinx and queer or Indigenous and queer, right? Those of us who have multi multifaceted lives and, you know, we don't live single issue struggles or lives uh -huh. for that matter, um, right? True to Audrey mm -hmm. Lord and even hearkening in Kimberly Crenshaw. And so, you know, when we see people are attacking every facet of who we are, right, we know that we start to then internalize yep. it, right? We then start to think differently about ourselves and who we are. And, and, and that is actually rooted in so much data and science. And so that is why, even if it's not intentionally focused and targeted on our mental health, we inherently start thinking negative thoughts about who we are, about our own history, because all we know is erasure, right? And so that is what we're trying to combat every single day. So tell us, like, what are some of the ways in which you are tackling this moment that feels like, Preston, it's so difficult to wrap our arms around, right? Like, how are you able in this role to be able, and, and the organization as a whole, to be able to tackle what feels like Everest at this moment? 
it it does. And many, I mean, listen, you know, you know, working obviously in like advocacy and government affairs and, and even in media and comms, one of the things that we see is it feels like everything is drinking from a fire hose, right? There's so many things happening all across the spectrum that you don't know how to prioritize. And so one of the things that we really wanted to get comfortable with was what does it mean to prioritize the health and well-being of LGBTQ youth? Because we know our research in particular has found that LGBTQ youth who lived in an accepting community and had access to these LGBTQ affirming schools and or felt high social support from family and friends reported significantly lower rates of attempting suicide in the past year. And so for us, what that means is prioritizing safety by schools, prioritizing safety in communities, figuring out if you have any alliances in your universities or your high schools or your middle schools, and really figuring out how do we provide resources, not only to LGBTQ youth, but to their parents and to their other family members and to their friends who are really trying to understand a little bit more about what that looks like, right? And, and we know that some of this has shifted because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, mental health challenges did not take place because of COVID, but they certainly exacerbated right. it. Yep. It was already a reality for people pre-COVID. And so for us, it's about resources. It's about creating these affirming environment, right? And it's on all of us to create these safer more accepting world for LGBTQ youth, right? Like I always try to think of who I was and who I did not want to be when I was younger, right? And so by that end, right, I'm comfortable now. I'm confident now. I'm secure in who I am now. Many LGBTQ youth don't have that environment and they don't have that reality. So a lot of our research and our advocacy work is really geared geared toward those people who frankly don't think they have possibility models around them. What does it mean these days, Preston? Because I learned that phrase from you, possibility model. What does it mean these days for you, for myself too, to be that model when frankly, I'm scared, right? Like I'm, I, I am scared about my well-being and safety as well as those of my friends and family. But recognizing that I'm not a young person going to middle school and high school right now, right? Um, whose fear is so much more compounded in terms of what they are experiencing. I can, you know, choose not to go to said place or choose not to do. So what does it mean these days for us to be possibility models and how can we show up more, um, at a time as LGBTQ plus adults and those that are, you know, quote unquote, professionally gay doing this work, how do we show up for our youth? I just want to make sure we're not forgetting about them, right? I think so often it's easy when we become a little bit more comfortable um, in who we are to forget about the people who are who we've left behind, so to speak. And I think that with organizations like the Trevor Project and with us individually, we'll make sure that that will not happen. For us, right, I, I want to admit that I also am afraid, yeah. right? I think fear is such a valid emotion that many times we attempt to go over mm-hmm or push to the side, but it is a, it is a healthy emotion. Um, and it is one that, that is a real emotion. So, you know, I always say we don't have to, to lie. In fact, we should not lie to young people when we are feeling these exact feelings and thoughts. Um, I also believe, right, that with, when it comes to these coordinated attacks, we have to all be on the same page as far as like who, who the enemy ultimately is. I oftentimes say that, you know, our opponents, regardless of what we're looking at, may hate understandings of intersectionality, but they sure do know how to attack issues intersectionally. 
And mm, that is, I know that's right. That's one of the things that I try to focus on so much. It's like, it's not either or, it is oftentimes both and. So how are we doing? Are we offering lines to people? Are we offering crisis services to people? Are we offering resources? And then sometimes, you know, you'll have to offer things that, are, that may meet people's material conditions a little earlier. Are you offering them housing and shelter and access to food and healthcare? And so there are many things we can do. I just always want to make clear to people that we all have a role to play and everyone's role is going to look different. Preston, you know, I don't really know what the future holds. And I think that, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but in a lot of ways that kind of drives um, attempted suicides, right? Not being able to see outside of the present moment that there is possibility, there is hope. And at a time when we are all struggling to find hopefulness, right? Um, I tell people on this show to not marinate in misery like I do, right? To try and find avenues of joy, to find those pockets of joy, connection. Um, what is your recommendation just as a member, you know, of the community and somebody like you said, you are scared as I am scared, right? Like, you know, you always show up on the front lines for black trans women that are murdered at an un, that at, at an unrelenting rate that, again, does not make the headlines in the way uh, that these horrible bills and these horrible massacres make. And so what what advice do you have for people in order to be able to hold on to their joy, to seek their joy and also seek the care of community? Mm -hmm. I love this question. Because so often the data is hard to actually extrapolate how do we find joy and balance. And so for me, at least, that oftentimes means disconnecting when I'm able to do so, right? We can't just sit with the reality of attacks every single day. We have to, if we're able to do so, find an outlet to joy, whether that's singing and dancing, whether that's watching a movie, right? Whether that's writing or journaling, whether that's drawing, um, like and joy does not have to cost money, right? There are so many ways we can connect with other people, with community members, right? So I think sometimes it starts local. Most times it starts local, right? That means it can start at home, at school, or in your community. Um, and again, it's on all of us to create these like more accepting environments. And the Trevor Project even has data that show at least one supportive person can reduce um, thoughts of suicide or considering suicide by 45 to uh, percent. So that means just one person mm -hmm. could actually make someone think differently about their life or attempting or considering by upwards of 40 to 45 percent. And that is a huge deal um, because we know a little support can go a long way and, and help save a young person's life. And it would be remiss for me to not also say surely about research and what it show in terms of youth of marginalized identities and how many of us experience disproportionate rates of mental health challenges like bullying and suicide risk and these things that may seem to bring about lack of hope and despair. Um, but it's because of, it's not because of who they are, right? It was never because of who we are as queer people, um, but because of how society yes. treats us, right? 
how, how lawmakers sometimes treat us, how community members treat us, uh, which of course drives stigma, it drives discrimination, it drives criminalization. And to your point, it drives thoughts of suicide and maybe even attempts of suicide. And so that is why I always wanna go back to, we all have a role to play. You know, so oftentimes people make it about parties and you know, for me, I'm not there. I am at a point where I recognize that every single person has a role to play. And surely we could argue that some do better than others. But at the end of the day, everybody needs to do better to support LGBTQ youth. Preston Mitchum, thank you so much for the work that you do, for the work that you do with the Trevor Project, for the work that you do on social media, for the work that we have done over the decades together. I just genuinely appreciate you and I hope that you will join us again. And we wish you a happy Pride. I would love to. Happy Pride. Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci is one of the latest shows on the TYT network and also the fastest growing news show in America. On his show, Dr. Ricci plays no games regarding policy, delivering a heavy dose of fact-based truth and penetrating analysis on all the top news stories focusing on racism, criminal and social justice, politics, police brutality, Karens, and much more. Listeners can also expect interviews with fascinating guests, political leaders, commentators, and even fiery debates with conservatives on a wide range of policy topics in the bullpen. It is an indisputable fact that you will love this show. Listen to Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. That is it for me today on Woke AF. I wish all of you a happy, happy fucking pride. And we'll be here all month. Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.